0: Jesus, we call upon that name, and we do declare things change when we call that name. And God, we're living in a time, we're living in a season where we need things to change. God, man can't change it, politics can't change it, a government can't change it, but our King Jesus can change it. So we call upon that name right now. And God, I pray that even through the scriptures, God, show us that when people call upon that name, and God, I believe that they will understand and believe today along, along not just with a song, but along with the scriptures today, that when people call upon God, things can change today. From our lives, to our circumstances, to our cities, and to our country, I believe you can change things when we call upon your name. In Jesus' name, that name that changes things. Amen and amen. Thank you, Ivory. Thank you, team, for singing that song. What a powerful reminder to us. And in fact, I want you to understand how important that song is as we get ready just to go into the word today. Um, I didn't really know that I knew a foreign language until I was talking to a group of Gen Z um, music artists and Christian artists as we were just kind of discussing some things uh, for the future. And it became a foreign language when I began to mention some of the groups that I used to listen to when I was growing up in the church. And I knew it was a foreign language when I said the name Andre Crouch, some of you know that name, and nobody knew who I was talking about. I'm going Andre Crouch, father of gospel, nobody knew anything. And I knew this was, this, was a, this was a moment that I was realizing how old I actually was. I, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up singing uh, hymns and then even going to choruses. Used to play choruses on my guitar. Not, they weren't as technical back then as they are now um, and simplistic uh, back, they were simple back then and not as complicated even now. But I wanna tell you about a chorus that comes from a Bible passage that I actually used to play um, on my guitar. A song that is over 40 years old from today, and literally the words still ring true when I came across it in the book of Jeremiah, as we're gonna begin to look at some important things. I mean, I I knew I was old at that moment when I mentioned the name Andre Crouch, and I knew I was really old when my daughter went into my desk. Um, a few years ago, and and pulled something out, and she goes, what is this? And I said, that's a cassette. And at that point, um, when I was explaining to her that before iTunes, they used to put iTunes on the cassette, um, I knew at that point that I was really getting old. Um, The chorus I'm speaking about was penned in 1976, but the actual words were from 588 BC. In fact, the chorus that I played on a guitar that we sang is really a prayer. In fact, it was a prayer from a POW. He was a prisoner of war, in fact, wrote it in jail, um, or said the prayer in jail. He was asked to do something for a city that literally was on fire and laying in ruins. Boy, that just brought me back to what our country is facing right now with the injustices and protests that are happening around our country. And I thought of these words, and I thought of this prayer, and I thought of that chorus, all the, way, all, all, all the way back in the 70s, but really all the way back in 588 BC. When we get to the end, I wanna tell you what that song was. In fact, some may recognize it when we begin to read the scriptures. When we started, or I started in ministry, Cindy and I, we, we were pastoring in Detroit, Michigan. And when we were there, we not only bought a house and raised our family there, we built uh, a church building there. And in fact, we were told by Christians, we were told by believers that we were out of our minds, that we were nuts to not only live there, but to also build there. In fact, what they told us was this. They said, you have none of the S's of real estate. They said, there's three S's that you have to have in order for property values to go up and in order to make building, um, the architect told me, in order to make building legit, and the three S's that you have to have in any good real estate area are schools, shopping, and safety. And they said, um, you're missing the S's when you go into that area. In fact, let me just say something even now, because one of the places that we, that we were dug in deep, lived and, and pastored in, I want us just to take a moment just to pray for. Um, I was on the phone not too long ago with the, with the pastor that took over the church that Cindy and I started in Highland Park, Michigan, uh, which is the actual center of Detroit. And what they're facing there is none other than an impossible situation, which I wanna talk to you about. What do I do in my, when my situation seems impossible? What do I do when my situation seems impossible? And Pastor Devin Goff, who's pastoring Revival Tabernacle right there in Highland Park, told me something that was staggering to me. Highland Park, the center of Detroit, is literally a mile and a half square city mile and a half square, the population of that mile and a half is 10,600 people. He said the last numbers, and he showed me, he showed me the documentation from the mayor, um, that of the 10,600 that have been tested for COVID-19, he said 6,100 have tested positive for COVID-19 in a mile and a half square in, in that little area uh, in the center of Detroit. And then he told me this, he says over 500 in that area have lost their lives. And I just said, Pastor Devin, this seems like an impossible situation, but God has put you there. In fact, I, I want to just take a moment right now to pray for that church and pray for that pastor. I want you to join with me, Times Square. I want you to let's and these are important. Greatest greatest thing about intercession is you don't get stuck in your zip code, but you get you go beyond that. Prayer takes you beyond your zip code and our world. Can we just pause for a moment? And I want us to pray for Revival Tabernacle and Pastor Devon Goff. Father, right now, you put Pastor Devon and Courtney Goff in that church to lead that church in that season right now. And so Father, what seems to be an impossibility May today they know that there is a church in New York that is believing that you're going to give him the wisdom, that they are going to see, God, a turnaround come in that city. They're going to see your hand come down. I pray that where there is uh, people are depressed, anxiety, worry, fear, that, God, they're going to see that through Jesus Christ that we don't have to fear. God has not given them a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. Would you raise up a refuge right there in the heart of that city, in that church. Raise up a refuge that will begin to minister to those that are locked away that need a miracle. And so I believe for over that family, over that church, you're gonna use them right now. When it seems impossible, I thank you, and we declare today, with God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. Now, let me just say something to you today, because when you think of those three S's, school, safety, shopping, Jeremiah, the prophet, had no S's, and he was told to make a real estate deal. Jeremiah was said, you have no S's. God is telling him, but you're going you're gonna to buy some real estate in Jeremiah chapter 32. In fact, let me tell you the story why there are no S's in Jerusalem at this time. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. The prophets have been prophesying that that Nebuchadnezzar, that an enemy is coming from Babylon. Assyria was going to come to hit the southern kingdom, Babylon, the northern kingdom, and they were going to begin to come and ravage the city. And what happened is Nebuchadnezzar, then where we will pick up later on um, in the book of Daniel, has just finished his third and final raid on Jerusalem and turned this prosperous city, the city where God was raising up um, his temple and where everything now, because of the raid of the Babylonians, is now in ruins. They have taken tens of thousands of young people as prisoners of war. they are POWs that are there, and, and all that is left is rubbish, a temple and a wall that is in ruins, and there is nothing there, and God begins to speak to Jeremiah, who, in, who by the way, is in jail at this time because of what he prophesied, he's in jail. And Nebuchadnezzar has come in and stolen all the S's. There is no more safety. Babylon has come in. There is no more schools. They're going to educate them in Babylon. And and there is no shopping. Everything is in rubbish. And God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 32, buy some real estate. And you want to go what are you talking about? In fact, let me read to you the story. The Bible says in Jeremiah 32, verse six, and Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, behold, Hannibal, the son of Shalom, your uncle is coming you. And he says, buy for yourself my field, which is at Anatoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, buy my field, please, that is at Anatoth, which is in the land of Benjamin, for you have the right of possession and the redemption of yours to buy it for yourself. Now, I just want to say, before we get to the next verse, I would have said, I don't want to exercise that right of possession. I don't want to exercise the right of redemption. I already know there are no S's, this city's in ruins. But this is what it goes on to say. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. I knew that this is what God wanted me to do. This is a miracle. I bought the field of the city, which is in ruins, which was at Anatoth from Hanamel, my uncle's son. I weighed out the silver for him, 17 shekels of silver, signed and sealed the deed, and called in witnesses and weighed out the silver on the scales. Thus says the Lord of hosts, um, he says, I want you to take these these sealed deeds and purchase this open deed and put them in an earthenware jar that they may last for a long time. If I'm Jeremiah, I'm going, are you kidding me? Are are you serious? Jerusalem is at its worst point and you want me to invest in this city that is literally in ruins, no S's, all, all, all of our up and coming young men and young ladies, they're all gone as POWs brought all the way out of here, back into Babylon. And you're wanting me to invest in a city that seems to be just out of control. And, and, I don't, and you want me to spend my money. And, and then he tells Jeremiah, I want you to take the property document that you, uh, that you just made a deal for. And then I want you to bury it in the ground. Let me read to you. What it says, and, and that verse. This is what it says. In verse 14, Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, take those deeds, the sealed deed of purchase, this open deed, put them in a jar, an earth-weird jar, that they may last, look at this, for a long time, which means what I'm about to do may take some time. The next verse says, This for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields, this is what he said: houses and fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Jeremiah buries this deed like a seed waiting for a harvest. The person, the person who looks for quick results when you're burying something is always going to be, be become disappointed. See, when you bury a seed, think about this, there will be long stretches of darkness, invisibility, and silence that separates the planting of that seed and harvesting that seed. It was as if God says, buy something that is in seed form, bury the deed, your document in the ground and watch what I'm gonna do. Because what he was saying was, you see rubbish, God goes, I see buildings and vineyards that are about to come back to this land. And Jeremiah is looking at this, and God goes, just bury it as a seed. That there may, it may be invisible to you right now. That seed is in darkness right now, and silence, nothing is happening right now. But God goes, This is a promise, this is a seed, and watch what I can begin to do here. This is this is so important for what we're facing as a country. Because when you look at our major cities around, starting with us here in New York City. You're going, God, what can you do? God, what, how, how can you make this work? God, what can you do to bring, to bring order back to our cities? And Jeremiah is beginning to speak to us. He's saying, when your situation seems impossible, I think Jeremiah gives us some hope because he was in a city that was in disarray. Let me share with you just a few things that I think God is challenging us to do. And, I, and I want, I'm praying that this becomes a challenge for you, for every leader, for every pastor, for us here at Times Square Church here's what I see with Jeremiah. Get this down. Number one, sometimes God will ask you to do the ridiculous in order for you to see the fantastic. Sometimes God may ask you to do something. you go going like, really? Buy land? Invest here? Bury it in the ground? What are you talking about? And God goes, you, you don't know what I'm doing even behind the scenes. And I'm, I'm, it, what, what may seem ridiculous Is literally so I can show off and show you the miracle or how fantastic God is. I was I was laughing. I was thinking to myself, this is ridiculous, but this is not for God. I was um, reading about some people, some countries, and some cities opening up at different phases. Some of their Attractions and one day I think it was Japan said they're going to be opening up their amusement parks and they said and they showed it they said but they're posting signs that you can't scream on the rides. I said now that's ridiculous but that's not a god thing because if you're going to go on a ride you got to scream. You can can ask my kids even about that. But let me just tell you this: I'm always reminded of this crazy thing that somebody said. He said, "Don't be afraid to try new things." The ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by experts. Let me just tell you something. If the amateur has God on their side, trust the amateur. Trust the person that's trusting in God. Because what seems to be ridiculous to Noah literally is what saved the planet. And we have to begin to understand our trust and our hope is in God. The difference is God is with the amateur in that incident. And then the amateur will even begin to surpass the expert because they're trusting an all-wise God in that. See, I think there'll be moments at times, like Jeremiah, that God may even ask you for what seems to some folks to be irrational obedience. And I think sometimes God's generals seem to look like fools at first. I, I, I totally believe what one pastor said, that faith is accepting that you don't know and trusting that God does. Faith is accepting that you don't know what's on the other side of burying that document of why would you want me to invest in Jerusalem when it's in rubbles, trusting though, that God does know. I think sometimes, think of this for a moment, because this affects all of us at Times Square Church. Sometimes there's no miracle without first there being embarrassment of God beginning to say, this seems ridiculous. You may even be embarrassed. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? We wouldn't be standing here on a stage if a man, if a pastor, a preacher named David Wilkerson didn't do what men thought was ridiculous. When Brother Dave in the early 1950s, God spoke to him from from a Pennsylvania church, pastoring just a little church in Pennsylvania, and all of a sudden felt God speak to him to do what some would call the ridiculous. What was it, Pastor Tim? He felt God said to throw out his TV, not to watch television, that to take the time that he would spend at night watching television as a preacher and begin to start praying. Oh, that's weird. That's, that's legalistic or that's ridiculous. But sometimes God's got to let us do what even men call the ridiculous for God to show up and do the fantastic. And it was in that moment, that time, when, when God began to speak to David Wilkerson, when he made more margin and time for prayer and said, I don't need to be in front of a TV set, I need to hear what God has to say to me. That God began to begin to put before him a Time magazine article about what was taking place right here in New York City. And God spoke to David Wilkerson to go and I mean to come to New York City to speak to the gang members. He came for certain gang members on trial for the farmer case um, of, a, of a ruthless beating. Uh, of, a young, of a young paraplegic boy in Central Park, thought he was coming to minister to those, and who would have thought that he would run into the, the Mau Mau's and run into Nicky Cruz. And as a result of, of Nikki Cruz getting saved, Teen Challenge started. Hey, you have a church here, Times Square Church, which God is using David Wilkerson and Carter Conlin to literally begin to touch the planet. And it starts with, get rid of your TV. That's ridiculous, you can call it ridiculous, but God began to do the fantastic. Tens of thousands of men and women addicted to to drugs and alcohol have been set free by the power of God because a man got rid of a TV set. That, that, That literally tens of thousands have had their lives changed right here on 51st and Broadway because a man decided to do the ridiculous so God can begin to do the fantastic. Jeremiah looked like a fool to buy real estate and he's still in prison And he's saying, let me make a deal. I love what one of those men who had to do that named George Mueller ran an orphanage in England, how he began to speak to this about what that kind of faith is. He says, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins, listen to this, where man's power ends, Jeremiah can't fix Jerusalem, and listen to me close. We can't fix New York City, God can fix New York City. God can fix your city. God can do something that none of us can begin to do with our own strength. That's when faith begins. Faith begins when all of a sudden our politicians, our government begins to say, we don't have the power to change anything. But that's when we look upon God and say, only God can begin to do that. Sometimes God will ask you to do what seems the ridiculous so God can show people how fantastic he can be and what he can do. Let me tell you a second thing I've learned from this. Because something is forgotten by man, does not mean that God is forgotten? Just because something is buried and put in the ground and forgotten by man, does not mean that God has forgotten? Every buried promise, that's what, that's what Jeremiah was doing, is never forgotten. Every act of obedience is never forgotten by God. That's why if you have to have faith in this, David Wilkerson said it like this. The true evidence of faith is rest. I trust you, God. I'm resting in you. This is exactly what you've told me to do. I remember when I grew up in Long Island, New York, and my mom took me for the first time to uh, a uh, to a place, uh, uh, to to a, to a store that we bought seeds, and we bought we were buying plants. And I asked, I saw these packets of seeds on the thing. I said, "Mom, can I buy those?" And I remember as as a as seven eight year old buying carrots and buying uh, I, I think it was cucumbers and buying all these different vegetables. And with the with the backyard that we had on Long Island, I said, "Let's bury these. Let's put these seeds in the ground." And I'll never forget burying them and going out every single day as a kid looking to see what came up. Nothing, nothing, nothing for literally weeks. And then all of a sudden you'd see a little, a little uh, bud come up or a little leaf come up out of the ground. And you're thinking, okay, that's it, it's done. And I remember pulling things out of the ground prematurely and not trusting the process and not trusting, this is, this is what happens in silence and in darkness, away from any of man's activity, God is the one that begins to bring, to bring because, of, because of his power and because of his interaction with nature, he's the one that brings it up. And I kept looking at the packet of seed going, that's the picture, but it doesn't begin to look like that. That's that's where Jeremiah was. Jeremiah says the packet of seeds says there's supposed to be vineyards and houses here. And he's looking at it. Like I was like a kid, I was looking at the ground and going, that doesn't look like cucumbers. That doesn't look like carrots. That doesn't look like what the picture says. That's what Jeremiah was faced with. The the picture doesn't match. But always remember that God never forgets a promise. Never forgets a buried promise. They may be buried, but God understands. See, God told Jeremiah, it looks grim, and and bleak now your city looks in disarray but I told you to buy and to bury it buy and bury it and that means this is important I want you to stay there I want you to buy and bury it and stay there because when you buy and bury it that means there's some long term to this there's a commitment to it I made a promise that something miraculous is going to happen is what God was telling Jeremiah he says, you may not see it now. The, the, the seed packet may not may not begin because you buried it, may not match what I'm about to do in that city. I, I, I want to say this personally. Listen to me close. I believe that for New York, I, I believe the same thing for New York City. I believe the same thing for our city, for the city that we're here. What what God, what God put on Pastor Carter Conlon's heart some years ago, that he said that. God spoke and said that Cindy and I were supposed to come and we, we were supposed to, to, to take the baton from Pastor Carter and Pastor Teresa and to become the next pastors of Times Square Church. And then we step in here we, we, into a congregation that hasn't even been in the building yet. It, it, was as if, it was as if these last three months, Babylon has come in and ravaged the city from a pandemic and from the, from the, from, from the protest and the, and, the, and the unrest, the, the civil unrest and the injustice that took place around the country. And you're faced with all these things and you're going, God, seriously, can, can this happen? It was as if Babylon came and ravaged it, but God spoke to us and said, get a house, get a place, live here because I'm about to do something. You need to put roots down. It may not look like the packet of seeds now, but God put a promise in David Wilkerson's heart. God put a promise in Carter Conlin's heart and he goes, I haven't forgot. Men could forget it, but God goes, I've got something that I'm about ready to birth. I've got something that I'm getting ready to do. I've got something that I'm going to get ready to bring forth and you're going to be part and you're going to be part of seeing what God wants to do here. It may be buried now and it may look like rubbish and heaps, but I'm just telling you, we serve a God that is able to do the fantastic and we serve a God that never forgets when a promise is buried because of the obedience of those men. Can I can I tell you why I believe that? I want to tell you, you ready for this? My favorite buried promise story. My favorite buried promise story. In fact, the seeds that are buried on this promise are all over the world. There's, here it is, there's billions of seeds around the planet waiting for this buried, buried promise story to take place. Pastor Tim, what's, what buried promise story are you talking about? It's 1 Thessalonians 4.16. You wanna hear the story? Here it is. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel And with the trumpet of God, here it is, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Hallelujah. Oh my goodness. All over the planet, people are in cemeteries and graveyards. And God goes, if you're a believer in Christ, listen, billions of dead people who are in Christ are not just buried, they're buried promises waiting for God to keep his word and to raise them up again. I believe that. I hope you believe that today. That's a promise from God's going, there's coming a day. I'll blow that trumpet. And those seeds that are, those people in there, that's just seeds for me to keep my promise. And God's going to keep 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. If God is behind it, then he is responsible. You can't worry about it because you're not responsible. And I can't change a city and I can't raise the dead, but I serve a God that can do that. God told Jeremiah to buy the land in Anatoth. Now it's up to God to keep his word. Here's what he was saying to them. Listen, jot down these three words. He says, you buy it, you bury, and then I just need you to believe. Those, those are the words. You buy it, bury it, doesn't look like, even though it doesn't look like the, packet, the picture on the packet of seeds, and then believe for me to do it. I, that's why the great healing evangelist said it best. Smith Wigglesworth. He said, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm just moved only by what I believe. That's what God's asking us to do. But let me close with this. Because sometimes God will ask us to do what seems to be the ridiculous, to show the fantastic. He never forgets a buried promise. Maybe forgotten by men. It's not forgotten by God. But here's the part. And then I'm going to tell you the song that was written in 1976, but was really a prayer in 588 BC. Here's number three. The creation evolution debate matters. Oh my goodness, Pastor Tim, where in the world did that come from? This is important. The creation evolution debate matters because this is a buy, bury, and believe part. You have to believe with me that God is who he says he is. He is the God of Genesis as he is the God who sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. It mattered to Jeremiah that he's the God of creation because he staked his money and his future upon this. The creation versus evolution fight, I want, you, I want you to get this, is larger than you think. In fact, what we're facing as a nation, what, 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 what we're facing as a church and what the future looks like for us as a church, really centers around this debate. Seriously, because I, I, I believe that any error about creation leads to an error about God. Any error about creation leads to an error in what people believe about God. There are are many Christian, this is what they'll say, Christian evolutionists. I have a problem with that. I do, because I I believe in the inspired word of God. I'm I'm grateful that the man who identified um, uh, the law of gravity, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, was not a Christian evolutionist. In fact, let me read to you a story. He said Sir Isaac Newton had a friend who was an atheist, and the friend didn't believe in God, but preferred to take the position that the universe just happened. And one day his friend was visiting his colleague, and Newton showed him a model of the solar system that he began to put together. In fact, it was the sun, the planets, the moons were all in place. The sizes and spheres were in proportion to the planets and the satellites revolved around the sun at their relative speeds. And the friend, the atheist friend, so admired the model. He said, this is so intriguing. And he asked Newton, he said, who made it? And Newton simply said, nobody, it just happened. Seriously? In fact, let me help you with this. Let me give you four false facts. Here we are, four False facts, fact number one, books write themselves without the need of an author. False fact number two, cars build themselves without, a manuf- without the need of a manufacturer. False fact number three, music composes itself into beautiful harmonies without the need of a composer. Well, that will lead you to false fact number four, which, which is unbelievable. The whole universe came into being through a process of random chance and beneficial mutations without any need of a designer. Seriously? So we have, a, we, have a, we have the most learned people on the planet that say you need a composer to have music, you need a manufacturer to have cars, and you need an author to have a book, but this universe just happened. It's like G.K. Chesterton, the great English writer, said this, it is absurd for the evolutionist to complain that it is unthinkable for an admittedly unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing and then pretend that it's more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into everything. Let me just tell you something. My God created heavens and earth. God did that. In the beginning, God created. That's where that comes from. That's why this is so important. To lose creation is to lose more than we think. I I, I can't fathom anybody standing from a pulpit, knowing this book, knowing this Bible, and thinking that Genesis 1, 2, and 3, from creation all the way to the fall of man, is is just a myth, and it's just fantasy. Listen to me close. You lose faith for the impossible when you don't believe that God created heaven and earth. Jeremiah is a creationist and prays the song we sang in the 1980s. As the real estate deed for Jeremiah is in the ground, as Jeremiah is in jail, as God's people are in Babylon, listen, God is on his throne. God's people in Babylon. Jeremiah in jail. Jerusalem in ruins. God on the throne. He knows exactly what he's doing. That's why Jeremiah does the only thing he knows. He didn't sing it, but he prayed it. See, I think you have today Today, with what we're facing as a country, with pandemic and civil unrest, you've got to be a creationist to have a hope. I'll say that again. This sounds odd even to mention. You have to be a creationist to even have hope. You have to understand. And I'll explain why I mean by that. Because, because what people are so afraid of going like, what, what do I do? See, Jeremiah really was kind of doing what Martin Luther, the reformer, says. Luther said it like this, pray, because we're going to see what he does, and let God worry about it. And can I just tell you, God's not worrying. God's got it under control. So Jeremiah does that. He prays. And in his prayer, he goes all creation. He goes all Genesis 1. He appeals to Genesis 1. If God created when there was nothing, and since that is bigger, that nothing is bigger than ruins and rubble that we're facing today, and God was able to make something out of nothing, then I think he can do it again. Or, or let, me, let, let, let me say it like this. What Jeremiah was about to tell us is this, God, if you can create from nothing, then you can be rebuilt from runes and rubble. Let me say that again. This is because this is important for where we are as a country. God, if you can create something out of nothing, then you can begin to rebuild from runes and rubble. Here's the verse. Here's the song, but it's really a prayer. And this is what he said. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah. Then I prayed to the Lord saying, here it is. Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Listen to this. Nothing is too difficult for you. That's the song we used to sing. The context is forgotten. It's a man that literally saw his city in ruins, told to buy, to buy a, a, a real estate there, no S's, bury the deed, and then he had to go all, all creation and go, if you can create out of nothing, then you can rebuild out of rubble. If you can create when there's nothing there, then literally, where our country is today, we need God to show up again. Ah, Lord God. Thou hast made the heavens, that's and the earth by thy great power. That's Jeremiah the creationist. That's why I believe in Genesis 1:1. God created the heavens and the earth. God created it. A book without an author, a car without a manufacturer. Seriously? That 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 when we begin, music without a composer, but yet we believe, we, we believe a universe without a designer. I have staked my life on that designer. That's God the Father. He's the designer. I believe in a a universe that's been finely tuned by that designer. I don't believe in a big bang theory. I believe in a big God theory. That's what I believe in. Because what we need today is, is people that believe a big God showed up and begin to take runes and started to rebuild it. He made the promise. It was a buried promise that one day, One day there'll be fields and vineyards here. Houses will be built here. Jeremiah looked and just said this. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. The United States needs a big God. Our planet needs a big God. He's there. We just have to call upon him. We have to just call upon his name. You know, there is a passage in the book of Daniel. In fact, it says in the last days about God's people in the prophecy of Daniel, we know it's the last days that he, he's, we, we've, some of you may have heard these words. It says this, it says in Daniel eleven thirty two. but the people that know their God, the one who's created heavens and earth, the one that can make something from nothing take ruins and rubble and turn and rebuild it. The people that know their God, he said, will be strong and do exploits. One version says they'll take action. You know what's interesting about that passage? Look at the first word of that passage. It says, but the people that know their God, it starts off with a conjunction. You know what that means? The word but connects it to the worst time that the people of God will ever face on this planet that is yet to come. He's speaking about the antichrist raising up. That's, that's that verse that people say they'll people, but they will know their God, um, be strong and do exploits. The word, but connects it to a sentence before it, which is about an antichrist and an antichrist system. In fact, look at it. It's first verse, verse 31. It says forces, From him will rise, desecrate the sanctuary fortresses, do away with the regular sacrifices. They'll set up an abomination of desolation. By smooth words, he, the Antichrist, will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But, but in this worst system, in what you're faced with, the people that know their God, they'll be strong and they're gonna do exploits. See, what he was saying was, take the worst system that is coming upon this country. Even what we're facing now doesn't even come near those last days. And he says this, there'll be a people that if they know God, know that that's the God of Genesis. That's the God of creation. That's the God that keeps the, the promises even though they're buried in the ground. That's the God that even if it seems like the, the ask could seem ridiculous to people, God goes, watch me show you the fantastic. This is God who shows up and do this. And that's why he's able to do exceedingly abundantly against, against believe, if we believe he's able to do exceedingly abundantly in our lives, and for us, and through us, even in the midst of what Daniel is talking about, a people that are are, are faced with an antichrist system. Let let me finish with this. I was thinking for just a moment of the the 12 spies under Moses' guidance that went into the promised land to bring back a report of the land. They've just finished 400 years in, in captivity in Egypt, they come out and after forty, after, after, before they even got uh, weeks and months into the wilderness, God begins to send them into the promised land to spy it out. And for those that don't know the story, of the 12 spies that go in, 10 of them bring back a bad report and said, here's, here's, you asked us to go and get the specs of the land and they bring back a re- bad report And they said, we just can't do this. It's impossible. In fact, this is what I realized. The 12 spies report that went in there was not bad because it wasn't true. It was true in the specs of the people in the land. These are great. They have all these things. But what made it a bad report, it was a report that was void of God. That's what made it a bad report. See, the inhabitants are great in the land. That's true. But God is greater. That's even truer. See, a report, any report heavy on impossibles and low on God, that's a bad report. Man, we're faced with some impossible situations. But man, I want my report of who God is to go up higher. Those that know God, know their God, will be strong and do exploits. Listen to the Numbers passage of those 12 spies. It says, but the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able to go against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land which, you have, um, which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw in the men are of great size. They also saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in their sight, and so we were in their sight. See, bad does not mean untrue, it means no God is in the report. You know when it becomes a bad report? This is important. See, today, men quote the report of what we're facing as a country, and they give the report, void of God. That's a bad report. But I have to tell you, if you have God in your life, there is no bad report. Why? If he made the heaven and the earth, then nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is too difficult for him. And I have to tell you, God begins then to take what seems impossible And he makes it possible. He takes what seems to be buried and out of men's sight. And God goes, I haven't forgotten. And God goes, if I can create heaven and earth, I can create a clean heart, a new heart. That's what God came to do. You know, if I can challenge you with anything today, not only believing for our cities, even as a church, as believers, believing like Jeremiah, that God would begin to say, I still want to do something in your cities, but God, they're in ruins, they're in rubble. It seems like the infrastructure is falling apart in our country. But I have to believe, I have to believe like Jeremiah, that because he created the heavens and the earth, nothing is too difficult for him. If he can create something out of nothing, then he can take ruins and rubble and rebuild it for his glory that's how great he is. But you know what he does even best than anything is when he takes the runes and rubble of a person's life and begins to rebuild it. You know what that's called? That's called when God enters into a young man or a young lady and says, I can rebuild what this world, what sin has come and try to destroy inside of you. God goes, I'm able to do that. Nothing is too difficult for him. You may be watching this or listening to it. A friend may have said, hey, why don't you listen to this link and you clicked on this today. Maybe you're listening to it not on a Sunday, but on a Monday or a Tuesday. Can I just tell you this? Nothing is too difficult for him. There is not one thing that you've done that God can't forgive, and there's not a life that he can't rebuild. If he can make something out of nothing that's called creation, Genesis chapter one, and if he can take Jerusalem, like he promised Jeremiah and said this, he said, then Jeremiah knew that he could take the rubble and rebuild it, I am telling you today he could take your life and rebuild it today. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? It's by inviting him in. The the, the great architect, the redeemer, the God that loves you, the God that who nothing is impossible for him. I want you to hear me today. God loves you. God wants a relationship with you and he can take what's what's been ruined and turned into rubble like he did for a city called Jerusalem and begin to turn that whole thing around, turn your life around. How does he do that, Pastor Tim? Jesus calls that relationship being born again. He said, it's really getting a second birth. It's like starting all over. Can you explain it, Pastor Tim? Well, those are Jesus's words. He says in John 3, 5 and John 3, 3, he said, the less a man is born again, he can never enter the kingdom of heaven. Men and women today are trying so hard to get God to like them, to get God to take them to heaven. But I want you to understand something. God loves you. God loves you. He wants to rebuild. He wants to come in and change you from the inside out. But it starts with a decision. It starts with you deciding, I want what God wants for me, and I want that second birth. I want to be changed. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? I I can't make it any simpler than A, B, C. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. It's admitting that there is a, 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 a dysfunction in me. It's not, before I blame anybody else, my father did this or my mom did this, all of us are born with a dysfunction. They're born with an issue that's called sin. Every single one of us. I have to admit and get honest with God that I have a condition called sin. That there's not a promise, there's not a, there's not a preacher, there's not a program, not even a prescription drug that can f- fix that condition called sin. I'm broken inside the diagnosis of sin. And the first thing I need to do is I need to admit that I'm a sinner. And then secondly, it's believe. Believe that God loves me so much. That the God that Genesis 1 God that made heaven and earth from nothing. Is also the God that can take my life. That for some of us has been in ruins. And it could be in runes, even with money. I've watched many people have, have six-digit salaries and jobs and can't seem to get a marriage right on their third and fourth marriage. Would God ever love me? I'm gonna tell you this. Nothing's too difficult for him. Can God ever fix me? Nothing is too difficult for him. Can God ever forgive me? Nothing is too difficult for him. I can't fix myself. That's why God had to send his son. If we could fix ourselves and God putting his son through the suffering he went through is like the ultimate case of child abuse. I can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have had to come and die for me. But Jesus' death for me was Jesus being my sin bearer. It was him dying the death that I was supposed to die because my sin was calling for a price. It was him living a life that I could never live and receiving a reward that I'd never even deserved. And finally, it's confessing him as Lord. It's saying, You're in charge now. Jesus did not come and die on that cross to get you to church, sit in church, or watch a a, a webcast of a church service and go, That's why I came. Mm -mm. Jesus didn't come to get you to church, He came to get you to heaven. And it starts with forgiveness, it starts with being born again. And today, it can all change today. See, coming to church on a Sunday, is religion, but being a born again and having God in your life every day, that's a relationship. God wants a relationship with you. And today that relationship could happen. Just as you were born first time in a hospital, it's a second birth that happens right now, right on your living room couch, right in your kitchen, right in your car, if you're maybe on a treadmill, it could happen right there. God, God's, God is not intimidated by that. He can it, it could happen right wherever you're at. He doesn't need a building to change your life. But the God that created Nothing, something out of nothing is that God can take our lives and turn and rebuild ruin and rubble and begin to do something so powerful. If that's you today. I want you to listen to me. Just whisper these words with me. Nothing is too difficult for you. That's why, that's why I believe in Genesis 1. Nothing is too difficult for you. God, New York City, it's, nothing is too difficult for you. Minneapolis, nothing is too difficult for you any city around this country, nothing is too difficult. Any place that has a pandemic, Highland Park, Michigan, nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is too difficult. And for your life today, for your family, nothing is too difficult for God. If you're there right now and you're listening and you go, Pastor Tim, I, I just thought, how could God forgive me? And I'm telling you, he can forgive you. Would you pray this prayer with me? Would you pray just where if you can out loud if you have a family going let's do this nothing's too difficult for god he's able to do he's able to help us right now if you're there and want to make the most important decision of your life that you want to be born again i don't care if your eyes are open your eyes are closed i want you to pray this with me come on say this with me out loud dear lord jesus i believe you're the son of god i believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is my home in Jesus name. Amen.